Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news, trends, and hottest topics that focus on advances in cybersecurity and cyber industry economics. Our expert yet down-to-earth hosts make cybersecurity straightforward. They ask the tough questions and make this challenging topic something that everyone can understand. Our candid approach lets guests open up on topics we would all like to see addressed. You can find us on the web at newcyberfrontier.com. That's www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join today's host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On this second of the uh, two-part series for the year-end review of 2020-2021. And with all the crazy stuff going on the last couple of days in the Capitol, we definitely think some of that settled down, but we want to hope you enjoy this outlook onto uh, what we're looking at in 2021, the second part. Uh, we have his guest, Ben Johnson, you'll hear from first, and then Doc Klodnecki, uh, and then Kent Lambert, who is uh, no... Uh, uh, he's a seasoned on New Cyber Frontier. We heard from a lot talking about a political view and a little bit of the technological, some international organizations, mostly Dr. Jason Roop from IEEE talking about uh, blockchain and the development of cybersecurity into prototypes for worldwide uh, use in the future. Uh, but welcome to today and uh, we'll join this show already in progress. You have a couple of, as we clip together from a couple of different guests and we hope you enjoy this a lot thoughts going forward into 2021 what would what do you want to tell everybody that uh, might be listening yeah i think 2021 is about figuring out what is normal are we going back to offices are we you know staying work from anywhere it's probably going to be some sort of hybrid right like some companies will have some offices i think a lot of companies are seeing the the cost savings or the efficiencies or allowing their employees to live anywhere is, is, is really improving certain areas of, of, of work and, and, and home life. And so then what does that mean for cybersecurity? And I think what you're going to see is just a continued uh, pressure on cloud and SaaS, IaaS, et cetera. And therefore, how does the security team stay in the loop and stay in you know some sort of visibility or control uh, when it comes to security? And, and I think the challenge for all of us will be how does the business understand the shared responsibility models or understand you can't just give all these consultants or resellers or other people full access without involving security and trying to mitigate any risk. So yeah, I think it's really going to be how do we how do we do security in a work from anywhere future uh, on an ongoing basis, right? Not not thinking anymore it's temporary, but thinking it's more more permanent. And then yeah, we'll start to see a lot more, you know, startups pop up and and more investment. So it's I think it's gonna be an exciting 2021. Yeah. Anything exciting you're doing personally you want to throw out there? Uh, I <laughs> haven't slept much lately because of the uh, the solar wind stuff. Um, you know, we're we're fortunate that we've been able to uh, to help a lot of organizations uh, through through what we do with continuous monitoring and partnering with with incident response firms. And every incident response firm I talk to is oversubscribed and you know working twenty four seven to try to just check the health. Like even if you don't think you were hit from the the you know the kind of the big attack. Um, 
you're, you're trying to just figure out are you healthy and like, you know, is there, are there lingering issues or, you know, persistence still in your environment from an adversary and that kind of thing. So just, you know, kind of been fortunate to, to, to help and, and see some interesting things there. And then what we're doing as a company is just continuing to grow and, and offer, you know, SaaS security monitoring and, and, you know, trying to work with great customers and partners and just continue to build. All right. Well, um, thanks a lot for joining today. Um, Definitely appreciate coming on this year-end review and uh, always enjoy your, your, uh, your comments and everything. Thanks, Dr. Murray, as well, for joining. Um, Thanks, Ben. Yeah. All right. Yeah, my so, pleasure, guys. Have a great day. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I hope you enjoyed listening to Ben Johnson talk about some of the San Jose startup, uh, what we see in future, in the future for that area and in that sector. Uh, and now we'll move it over here from Doc Klodnecki, who uh, is uh, also no stranger, been on New Cyber Frontier a couple times, but a great reference to what's going on in the military and in compliance and a couple other areas. We'll join our talk uh, with Dr. Murray, myself, and Dr. Klodnecki already in progress. Right. You know? So well, here's a question you know, for you, Doc. You know, yeah. we're, you know, we're getting close to the end of our segment. You know, 2021. You know, we're, we're closing out 2020. Chris, you know, what question would you have for Doc regarding 2021? Um, what's, you know, when we look at what's to come, what recommendations do you make for, you know, CMMC is coming, is, is here now, right? Um, yeah. You know, we, I've heard this talk for the last, you know, 10 minutes about who's responsible, who's going to pay for it. Does it matter? What do we recommend? What do we tell people for this year? What do they need to do? What do they need to get prepared for? Well, I think the same thing you tell people when they go for a doctor, right? You're checking the health of your system. Get a second opinion. So, uh, you know, there's all kinds of uh, apps out there that will do word searches on the news for the day. You know, so plug in CMMC. Now, you may get way more than you want, uh, but, you know, just kind of keep an eye on it. See where it's going. Um, do a search for cybersecurity companies. And remember that no one, no one is CMMC certified yet. Okay. So, again, watch out for the uh, snake oil salesperson, right? But, but look out across the area and then ask your friends. It's the same way you would have hired a lawyer or hired a CPA. If, if you like what you got, follow that same process. Find out who are some of the cybersecurity experts. Go to a luncheon, whether it's virtual or in person. Go to a luncheon. Uh, join organizations. Now, for me, I'm DOD, um, and I'm also on the board of directors, National Board of Directors for NDIA. I think that's a great organization. I've also watched how they have really worked with the government to get the national defense needs met and the industry's requests brought forward. 
Um, there's other organizations, FC, yours is a great organization, right? I mean, uh, we're meeting once a month, we're having these conversations, we're sharing the wealth. Um, you know, the cyber exchange are extremely important. Uh, just attend one. And if you have questions, don't be afraid to ask. Uh, so, you know, get a second opinion, get your, get, get kind of familiar, start learning the language, you know, um, little bits at a time. And if you find something that really works, share it with a friend. Some of them are YouTube videos, some of them are a blog, some of them, I mean, there's all kinds of things that are out there that can get you just a little smarter so that you can make an intelligent decision for your company, for your business, as it needs right now. It is imperative that you have good cyber hygiene if you're going to use electronic equipment of any kind. Welcome back from the break. Um, now we're moving into our political uh, section with uh, Kent Lambert. Lots of great things to say and lots of things I didn't think of. So I hope you enjoy this already in session. So now, you know, kind of looking forward, what is in store for 2021 uh, from, from, you know, what we've seen from 2020? We said before, Kent, you mentioned that, you know, turning the calendar date isn't probably going to change anything. When will it and what can we do to adjust? Well, I, I think right now our our political environment and our decision-making environment, both at the federal and the state level are very, very unpredictable. Uh, 2020 has been sort of a toxic political environment. And I, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens in 2021, but I, I don't see that changing anytime soon that also affects our state governments, uh, sometimes to a different degree. Uh, sometimes state legislators can work together uh, on a different level more efficiently and make their own decisions that are not necessarily connected to national uh, party politics. And that's sometimes good because sometimes state legislators, uh, uh, you know, our county leadership, our city leadership, are sometimes closer to the people and they actually uh, are more responsive to feedback from what people are thinking out there. But um, uh, we, we do have to have a balance between good security and open discussion and open policy making. And, uh, you know, right now, I don't see that being cured, you know, anytime soon, and it needs to be cured soon, mm -hmm. just for our national health. So you, you think the, the division we see really is felt the most in security and privacy. Uh, a lot of it's security and privacy and where, uh, you know, I, I've seen the state legislature great concerns on a bipartisan basis uh, about the loss of privacy, about the, the loss of identities, identity theft. Uh, those are very practical things that we should be able to make some, some headway on. But to get the information that we need to actually solve some of these problems requires uh, a lot more education for our legislators. They need to appreciate what is going on, 
on the on frankly on the more technical level, which a lot of them are not elected to do. They are elected because quite often because of partisan political uh, or, or local politics types of issues. Uh, but until the public are informed enough to start putting this in front of their their state and local uh, uh, leadership, government leadership, uh, you know, we're we're probably going to be sort of paddling around in a large sea without a without a compass. You know, we need to have a much more focused conversation about what the threats are and what we can do about them. Do you think that's going to happen? Do you think people are? opening up or is it so we're worried about the hand to mouth living day to day through the pandemic that we've, I, we were talking earlier about Amazon's now become huge and all the small businesses are going away um, in the, the living and, and surviving in the now we've given up some things. And it seems to be another thing that's might be set back for years to come. Well, and I think the pandem pandemic has accelerated that. There has always been a, a large debate between, you know, gee, should I go to the mall or should I support the small local businesses in my, my local community? Uh, should I order things interstate online? Uh, especially if my state or my local community are losing, for instance, our tax revenue by, uh, you know, people not buying uh, from their local establishments. That's been going on as a question for years. As a matter of fact, it was one of the major questions, of, you know, when we started our country about, you know, interstate commerce. And now we're going back to the same kinds of discussions about interstate commerce, just from people who are working at home. If you're working at home for a insurance company that's based in New York, uh, who should get the revenue of your labor, you know, of your taxation? Should it be the state government where you live or should it be the company that's based in New York? Uh, because that's not where I'm working anymore. So a lot of these really bread and butter issues uh, are strongly affected by the shift of uh, into a more virtual work environment. So that's, you know, and when you uh, increase levels of uh, cyber insecurity on top of that, where people are doing financial trades and, uh, and frankly, military and business trades, uh, you know, all over the world, we're more and more dependent upon vulnerable networks to get that done, which again raises the question of, you know, what are we doing about cybersecurity, uh, especially the, the remote delivery of software? We don't, I mean, we don't know exactly what happened in solar winds, but we're sure picking up a lot of, you know, at least secondhand information that uh, some of our cyber opponents are using lateral movements into, you know, from one department to another, one division to another. And we've talked for a long, long time about, you know, layered security and things like that, artificial intelligence to help us, you know, determine threat levels. And uh, wow, we really need to go back and take a second look at that because all the discussions about uh, zero trust, for instance, have kind of been ignored. All those warnings about internal security, uh, trusting your own software, trusting your own people, that's hard to do. So it's largely, I think, you know, ignored too much. 
And we're going to have to go back and reevaluate that and come up with some technologies, you know, what we are, have been calling privacy tech to actually help uh, provide solutions to some of these major problems. Yeah, definitely. And I know you've been working with the International Alliance of Trust Chains. I want you to talk about that. And when we're looking towards the future, what types of, what the, what do you see with the mission and the, the objective there? As I know, you've kind of moved beyond the, your political environment and dove into this new aspect of supporting privacy and trust globally uh, using new technology. Give us a little bit about where you think that's going. Well, you say getting out of politics, but I'll tell you, uh, when you're talking about, you know, maybe discussing things, things with the international academic community, it may be more political than anything I've ever seen. Uh, you know, I, I was in uh, state legislature for 12 years, but uh, for several years before that, I was in international uh, diplomacy in American embassies overseas, and, and I was accredited to three countries. And uh you know, we're talking about how to reach out with these new technologies, literally to countries around the world through the International Alliance of Trust Chains. Uh, that discussion has just, I mean, it's, it's just now starting. We, we now have a, a board of directors, but I think the demand for uh, international discussions and some sort of organizational infrastructure and patterns uh, uh, for constructive academic rigorous academic discussion in this area is, uh, is in huge demand. Uh, even small use cases in, um, in, in Latin America or Africa or Southern Asia, uh, you know, they are all concerned or more concerned about their security and privacy than we even are here in the United States. We can go out and buy, you know, Norton 360 or, or McAfee or something like that, put it on our computers. In a lot of places, they may not be able to afford that. They don't, uh, and they don't have the trust mechanisms necessarily built up in their commercial supply chains for their markets to uh, uh, be reliable and, and, and trustworthy. So uh, a lot of countries need a lot of help in different areas. And I think by understanding uh, you know, those requirements, uh, and getting you know different countries together from different perspectives, I think that could really help, uh, really establish a, a momentum to uh, insert these new technologies into the field. Definitely, Dr. Murray, any uh, bring you in here just a little bit? Yeah, so you know it's it's one of those conversations that can we can have it again next year, and I, I think we're kind of going to be in the same place. But what is that infrastructure? What is that that trust chain? Whether it's blockchain, um, you know, I'm I'm a member of the Internet Society, and and we're working on you know the Border Gateway Protocol, the the fabric of the Internet, right? Mm -hmm. Was never meant to be secure. Um, you know, they're looking at a PKI type infrastructure for integrity of Internet transactions. So you know, where are these all of these organizations, and where are we working together? Uh, socioeconomic, political, uh, to take advantage of, of where other organizations are capitalizing on certain types of technologies, integrating those as best practices to actually achieve what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we look at the, the frameworks like that too, it's bigger than sometimes a 
a country or definitely right. a state. It's, right. It's a global. It's global. Yeah. Like the it, internet it, border gateway protocol. That's that's a, <laughs> a train in motion. That I don't, I don't, you can't even paint it, you know? Well, and let's go back to, you know, we say global in the next 10 years. We're not going to be global anymore. It's going to be what? Solar system. It's going to be universe. It's we're going to other planets. We're going back to the moon. It's not yeah. going to be just global anymore. Everyone else. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> but yeah, and it comes down to it. I mean, a lot of times we want that. Everybody wants this to become, everybody has guidelines for it. Everybody says we need this. We need that. We need this. But there's a big paycheck involved with that, like going to the moon or like the Eisenhower highway system that for years we put infrastructure, invested in it, invested in it, and it changed everything. But we're not doing that anymore. Well, nobody wants to invest. Nobody wants to invest in it. I think it, it runs down to it's not physical. And people that have lived in the physical world their whole life don't see anything there. So how could, why would we invest money? I can understand a bridge. We build it. We see tangible it. versus tangible. intangible. Yeah. Yeah. How does, how to spend on infrastructure that's intangible? Well, it's, it's largely also, it, it's a fiscal uh, question. It, it's perhaps more for the, uh, the finance officers in companies and the finance officers in government than it is for the senior leadership. Uh, they need to realize that, you know, it's the old guy in the was the Geico commercial, or, or, uh, you know, my my uh, I, I need to change the oil in my car. Pay me now, or pay me later. And if you pay me now for your oil change, you won't have to pay me later for a new transmission or something. So we're working on basically the same kinds of perceptions, and there's never enough money this month to pay the bills. And if you've noticed in state legislators or in federal legislatures, there's, uh, there's always a two year planning horizon because until, until the next election happens, I don't care about anything else. Okay, that's where the decision is made. So if something is coming down the road five years from now, well, we'll just defer that until later because that doesn't help me get elected you know, by November. So uh, that's very, very short-sighted and something we can't rely on in our state and federal governments to, to come up with you know, long-term policies that are going to be adequately funded uh, unless, we, unless we can understand that you know, we have to put some money aside for this. And it could be, what, 10, 15% of your IT budget is, is probably a good rule of thumb. Probably 20% is better for cybersecurity. But... Uh, that is something that, you know, with other competing interests that both government and, and companies don't really want to uh, have to pay that bill. Yeah. That's why I kind of I like the, you know, the look that uh, like the IATC and some of the trust as a service is mm -hmm. building into the, the uh, frameworks that, you know, we're going to sell that trust and have a way to make money on cybersecurity instead of it just being a 10% across the board expense that you don't know where it's going. Let me sell among our small group and, and with new cyber frontier, I think we've been talking about this for quite a while that, you know, trust should be built up and we've talked about it. Now we have something that is more tangible. We have specific threats 
that are uh, at least penetrating into our federal security systems. We don't know exactly to what extent yet, whether this is just for surveillance for future attacks or if it's for intimidation or if it's an actual attack itself. We just don't know that yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, whatever it is, people ought to wake or have to wake up to the fact that we are more and more vulnerable and uh, and need to put this as a higher priority in our in our political agenda. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good statement to to end this segment on. And uh, thanks for joining, Kent. Uh, definitely appreciate your input on yeah, this thanks. end of year review. Thanks. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. Uh, we're transitioning now to a clip from an interview with Dr. Jason Roop, where we're going to hear about what types of things we might come to see coming in for future directions for IEEE and the areas they might spend their money on in privacy and security for entirely new solutions that could benefit humanity at large. Hope you enjoy this segment. On today, talking to Dr. Jason Roop, the co-chair for the IEEE Blockchain Initiative. Um, and we were talking before the break how that blockchain has been kind of picked, you know, picked by the IEEE as one of the future technologies. And you know, your background is mathematics. Do you consider yourself a cryptologist? Oh, no. I, I didn't focus too much on cryptology, enough to understand it, enough to uh, do analysis of it, but I'm not, an, I'm not inventing any <laughs> crypto an analysis tools or anything like that. I, I don't really work on that that deeply. Um, I've written some material on it for textbooks, and that's about the extent of it, and I utilize it, of course, and that's about it. Yeah, the reason why I, I proceeded with that question is because I talked, I had a, a conversation, you know, I talked to everybody in Cyber Street for the most part, with one of the most well-published cryptologists of our age. Um, multiple books out there. I won't mention the name, mm -hmm. um, but I, I told him that I was do, working on blockchain governance as my dissertation work. Mm -hmm. He turned around and walked away. <laughs> so the take from, we'll say, some of the most mainstream cryptologists, and I heard it at the same RSA conference mm -hmm. in their panel of cryptologists, they were asked, well, what do you think of blockchain? And all of them on the panel said, you know, we haven't given that too much attention. We think it's just an application shoot off and it's not really got any, no, nothing new there. So we're not interested. Was mm -hmm. basically what they said. Yeah. So it, it almost seems like the deep technical crowd has not been the early adopters to blockchain because of that. And you said earlier, and I totally right, when I refer to it, I don't call it blockchain. I call it mm -hmm. distributed ledger because I don't want to be identified with cryptocurrency. Yes. That's the immediate connection people make. And that's the right. what be untrained and unlearned because the 99% of people who adopted this quickly saw the business, the social use of it and jumped on board without having a, a technical you know, connection or background or right. even the early platforms aren't technically sound. They just are socially a need that something has. So how do you feel about that? I mean, now, is there more adoption from this cryptologist, from the technical crowd? Is that what we're seeing with kind of this coming out almost? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, and we've been sort of observing and collecting information on that for a few years now. Um, I would say blockchain is, uh, you know, it's, it's a term that we use for the name of the initiative. Uh, 
I sort of championed for it to just be a distributed ledger technology initiative. Uh, that's a bit of a mouthful, so we went blockchain essentially. But yes, we are sort of, uh, I guess, you know, hindered a little bit with that term because the initiative has had uh, since day one uh, the position that we don't spend any time on cryptocurrency. Uh, cryptocurrency is perhaps an interesting application, but it isn't the focus of the technology. And we are focused on the technology side of it. Cryptocurrency is very much an application, and there are a lot of applications, particularly in um, you know transactions of value. And you know, transactive energy is an example of that. The energy is of value, and handling the transactions of that energy is something that we are working on actively. But it's not a cryptocurrency issue. Uh, cryptocurrency had a lot of hype around it. We wanted to escape the hype, and we wanted to focus on the technology. I think that distributed ledger technology, if you first scratch the surface, say, give it a few minutes to understand what it is, you see the cryptocurrency aspects of it, and you say, oh, that's what it's about. But that's wrong. You dig in a little deeper, you spend a little more time, you understand, oh, there's this distributed ledger technology. It's rather complicated. There's communication networks involved. There's uh, a lot of computation involved. There's information management and sharing. And there's even, how do you handle transactions? How do you handle security? How do you handle signing of the information that's there to validate and to prove that it is uh, legitimate information? There are operational challenges. There are societal challenges. And you realize very quickly that it is a highly complex problem space that on the surface appears very simple. And I think a lot of Crypto analysts at first would look at this and say, oh, it's an application space. They're going to use what we do, but we don't need to worry too much about that. To a certain extent, that's probably true. But that, I think, dismisses the fact that we need intelligent people to really give this problem space a real serious amount of work. Because I think we've got a lot of work to do to make it very secure and safe and stable. Whereas what we're experiencing right now is there's distributed ledger technology throughout our lives and people will go through a day and maybe touch it several times and not realize it, that even it affects their lives. It is in so many aspects of our lives today. Uh, FinTech uh, has it throughout. There are uh, mechanisms that are handling transactions through blockchains behind the scenes that people are not aware of. Chances are something you've done has touched a blockchain and if you are concerned about privacy, security, and making sure that, uh, that your interests are carried forward reliably, securely, safely, uh, then this is a problem you should pay attention to. It's one that you should want resources to be put toward. And that's what we try to do with the initiative. Yeah. Interesting. So you had mentioned transactive energy being mm -hmm. the, the key focus, and I've seen that in a lot of the the events held around here, both in, in uh, Denver and Colorado, University of Colorado um, and uh, Denver University and some other, other events, but um, also privacy. And we had talked about that before and tra in transactive energy, a big part of that is privacy. Yes, the, it is. The transaction though needs to be provable. The individual that made it or the utility use of it needs to be private. Mm-hmm there's that balance there. So where do you see and, and, and explain that need and design kind of using blockchain 
and privacy and where you see that moving. Sure. Um, anything that's going on to a distributed ledger, by the nature of the fact that it is, you know, the information is in the ledger and you just distributed it, uh, in my mind, you kind of made it simpler for the hacker because uh, you just put it out in several places. It's easier to obtain. So their job is not only they don't have to break in to get it anymore. They just have to decrypt it. They just have to uh, make sure that they can, uh, uh, you know, translate it into a usable form. Uh, so if you've got important information that you're putting on onto a distributed ledger technology of sorts, you want to make sure it has all the proper levels of security and privacy enabled within it. Uh, blockchain is a broad space and there's a lot of technology and a lot of choices for those implementations. And I think there's a lot of work in, uh, that, that's yet to be done in understanding, first of all, the reliability and security risks of these technologies, which are very complicated, multi-layered, and really are a conglomeration of many different technologies involving computation, data storage, data at rest, data at motion, uh, communication networks, uh, people. Um, so just, you know, operational with, in terms of human interaction with technology and human to human contact and the security aspects of all these issues come into play here. So very complicated issue. One that I think needs a lot more than attention than it's been given. Um, privacy is important for transactive energy as in any aspects of, uh, working with distributed ledger technology, because no matter what you've got on that there is some aspect of it that you may or may not even predict where the privacy of that information could be very critical. We worry about it from a transactive energy perspective simply because we recognize that the adoption of this technology has to come with it a certain level of assurance. And because the IEEE has, uh, and our initiative has within our future plans, being able to certify these technologies for applications with transactive energy being a key among them and the first that we're going to aim for, uh, we need to be able to prove these things and we need to be able to demonstrate them in a way that, uh, that enable and confer trust with the technology. Mm -hmm. So that if we say, okay, this is a solution for transactive energy, we not only have documented it and shared it as an architecture for everyone to use and then develop from, but we've also demonstrated it. And here's an, a use case where we've applied it. Well, we can also certify to that too, to say, if you've got a solution you believe is meeting these criteria, we'll certify against that and provide that. So I think it's important that we actually solve a lot of these issues, that we take privacy serious as a part of this transactive energy equation so that we can do all the other things too. No matter what the, the information, there's some level of privacy that needs to be adhered to. Awesome. Well, and how would, uh, if somebody wants to get involved with this effort, what do you need help with? Uh, how would people reach out to you? What kind of programs are you looking for staffing? Yep. Uh, you know, it's, IEEE is a volunteer organization, so we need volunteers all the time. Uh, we've got really, really high set goals with this initiative. We have our NIC funding, which is going to enable us to do a lot of things, but a lot of that is going to depend on the input and help of volunteers. Half of that funding roughly is focused over the next three years on developing the tools and technologies within the IEEE to enable these technology-based groups like the Blockchain Initiative to thrive and do great. We built a lot of that. We know what will work. We've proven the concepts, but now we got to build the tools to enable that and then help the other technology-based organizations in the IEEE take full advantage of that too. A lot of them don't have what we have, which is 40 plus organizations throughout the globe who are working on various projects around 
around blockchain and, and uh, distributed ledger technology. And then some of them are coming to play in the medical space. Some are coming to play in our transactive energy space. Uh, Denver section is one of those focused on transactive energy. And we've got some people who work within that space. And the other half of that NIC funding at the initiative level is in transactive energy with some, uh, with some future direction toward developing solutions for certification or qualification of the blockchain uh, solutions that that uh, everybody comes up with. So we want to be able to certify those and validate and verify them as uh, solving certain problems and being, uh, uh, you know, conformant to that. But the blockchain uh, work right now along transactive energy, we have some working groups. Some are already formed, some are forming. Right now we're laying a foundation for, in the form of a white paper and an architecture that is uh, how transactive energy, energy should be done. Uh, we also are relying and connecting with and continuing to work on several different groups that are working groups in the uh, IEEE Standards Organization. Uh, Standards Organization was one of the key sponsors for getting the blockchain initiative kicked off three years ago. And we continue to work with them on some of our projects. Now that we're turning our attention to transactive energy, there's a working group focused on that too. A lot of those people are involved in our work around the white paper and the architecture and the solution development that we're doing on transactive energy. And we've got some funding that's gonna help us along, but we do need those volunteers to make sure we go in the right direction. And especially if you're working in this space, your input is highly relevant, highly valued and highly important. And we need to get you involved. Getting involved is easy. You just go to blockchain.ieee.org. There's a link at the top. You can see all the things going on. Feel free, spend time, explore, see all the elements that are, that are going on with the initiative. But there's a link up there to join the initiative. And you can click on that and be a, a part of the initiative and you can get plugged in that way. There's all sorts of places to contact and to get plugged into on that website. But the simplest way is if you just want to reach out to the initiative, you can get a hold of me. J-R-U-P at IEEE.org and say, you know, hey, I'm interested in working on whatever aspect of the blockchain initiative. You know, go to the website and see what we've got going on. If it's something you want to plug into, you can use that when you contact me or contact through the website. Or if there's something you think we're not paying attention to that we should, you can let me know or contact us on the website to do so. Um, lots of ways to get involved and we'd love to have you involved. There's work going on with our technical group at the Denver level, within the Denver section. There is work at the initiative level. Uh, there are several societies in the IEEE that help at the initiative level and at the local level. So many, many ways to get involved and to, uh, and to make a difference. And that's what it's really about. Thanks for joining today, and uh, we hope you got a lot from this multi-segment show with several different uh, guests and uh, myself and Dr. Murray hosting. Um, and uh, we wish you the best as you move into 2021 and into the new uh, administration with the president as we have resolved the last couple of days of uh, political things happening in D.C. And uh, remember, as you look forward in the future things you'd like to hear from people you'd like to hear from let us know reach out to us here at new cyber frontier we're always interested in knowing what and our our listeners are looking for and how we can bring uh, the latest news in cybersecurity to you here at new cyber frontier thank you for listening to new cyber frontier remember to follow or like our post and circulate each new show to your networks 
We keep you informed, bring you the latest news, explore new trends, and find the hottest topics. With new Cyber Frontier, you don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert, just get plugged in. We encourage you to get involved. Tell us what topics interest you and join our mailing lists. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. That's newcyberfrontier.com. Check out our previous interviews and please let us know if there are any topics that you would like to hear discussed. See you next time on New Cyber Frontier.